Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right, so here's a little blast from the past. Now, I know that we're made fun of on this show for not knowing everything or making great predictions all the time, but sometimes we nail it. Here's a sound clip from October 28th, our season preview podcast. Check out what Mr. Landon Field said about that game that we saw yesterday. Uh, my first takeaway is they're losing on January 21st to TCU at home because it's on CBS at noon. How about that? You, you knew exactly what was going to happen. And then we saw the, the, the noon CBS game and got a little nervous. But we're like, yeah, they've never lost at home to TCU. They'll be fine. I got a little nervous whenever I saw Jay Wright walk in the building because, you know, anytime that man's there, there's going to be some threes made against Kansas, but nobody could have expected that. This is Inside the Paint on Rock Chalk Plug. Well, you know, it's kind of like showing up to work every day. Some days you're excited to show up to work because a lot of fun things are going to happen, and then there are some days where you're like, eh, going to have to do that project that's coming up to a due date. And after yesterday's game, well, I think that it's safe to say it's one of those days. Because, yuck, I'm Ryan Landreth. I am back, and I'm Landon Fields. And I've been here, and I'm Nick Whitebird. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of people who have been here, that's not the Jayhawks. They were physically present at Allen Fieldhouse yesterday, but yikes, that was a very frustrating performance from beginning to end. They take an L to TCU at Allen Fieldhouse, first home loss in a year. They're good for they're turning into kind of a consistent team where they're good for one of these a year, right? That's that's three straight or four straight years with as of now one home loss and it's been a beatdown. Like like this is becoming a thing. Yeah, I mean how many years has it been in a row now? Three? Where they've taken an absolute just smashing at home. Do you count that Baylor game in twenty twenty whenever uh, they kinda whipped them on that snowy day here? Uh maybe. That'd be four. So there's there's been there's been more than a few of these. I mean, all those teams were in the top 15 at the time that they beat the Jayhawks. So it's not like they're getting blown out by lousy teams. But still, seeing them lose at home like that at Allen Fieldhouse, never going to be a fun thing to witness. All right, let's blow the air horn and talk all about that eh, fun performance, if you want. Number 14, TCU, 83. Number 2, Kansas, 60. Well, they're just cruising right along. They're 16-1, and one, and I think all of us did a pretty good job bracing the listening audience. Say, hey, losses are going to happen, and this is this is one of those examples where sometimes losses happen, and the Jayhawks sitting at 5-2. and two, They're in second place in the Big 12. Kind of fortunate to be there if you paid attention to some of their early games. What is your initial takeaway from getting trashed at home by the Horned Frogs? Uh, mine was that this, you know... To, to a degree, Kansas has flirted with this, um, a defeat anyway, maybe not a blowout defeat, but a defeat in this building all season. They've had a bunch of close calls already, um, and, and TCU was the best team they've played at home so far, and, and they're the one that got them. I did not anticipate this being a blowout if you would have told me TCU wins, um, but it was. Uh, this was, I think, mostly 
and everything wrong went wrong for the most part for Kansas outside of Jalen Wilson being good. Um, that's my biggest takeaway is it feels a little bit fluky. Um, it, it was a hundred percent for TCU, 4% for Kansas kind of game. And, and it, you know, that, that shows itself on the scoreboard. Nick, what's your initial takeaway here? I don't think it was fluky. I think that this is what Kansas has been bracing for all season. And they've been lucky to not hit it as a team that makes most of their shots in a game. And, and instead of the fan base shrugging it off and saying, man, this is, this is just an anomaly for a team to shoot this well. We've seen TCU shoot this well throughout the season, and Kansas's defensive issues in this game certainly didn't make up for it at all. Um, so I think this is just a byproduct of what we've been bracing for and what it's been snowballing into. Uh, Kansas has gotten lucky in previous games where they've been down 15 points you know, against Iowa State uh, in the K-State game where the other team starts to go cold, and they haven't had a true game where the other team is just making baskets throughout the entire night. And this is being more consistent. And Kansas has relied on games where guy where other teams go cold to pull out the win in on field house. We saw it against Oklahoma. We saw it against Texas Tech at times. Um, so Kansas and Oklahoma State, we've, we've seen this multiple times play out. And Kansas has finally seen the reality of what it's like to play bad basketball offensively for 40 minutes. And, and they really, except for that run in the first half, never really got anything into a rhythm, scoring pretty much 12 points the entire second half until the final five minutes of scrap-up minutes. So you look at that and you say, man, there was just wasn't a lot of fight down the stretch and um, really disappointing performances from a lot of these. The cast, Grady Dick, is, is entering a slump, it appears. Kevin McCuller has been missing since December. Um, and, and this team is, is a little disoriented, and the problems are apparent. When this team can't score, there's going to be some issues. Yeah, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head, both of you guys. I think my takeaway is... Kansas has been playing with fire with falling into early deficits and being on the wrong ends of teams jumping on them quickly. Uh, You can't keep doing that against quality basketball teams and winning. We saw Oklahoma State go up 15 on them at halftime. They fell behind by 8 right out of the shoot against Texas Tech. We saw Oklahoma go up 10 on them in the second half. We saw TCU go up 15 on them earlier. That was 20-plus. We saw Kansas State go up by 14 early in the first half. You can't keep doing that and expect to win these games. Honestly, with how many times that's happened, there's been seven conference games. I just listed five of them. The only two I'm missing are Iowa State who was leading them in the second half. They never looked comfortable in that game. And West Virginia, which they pretty much did control the entire the entire game. You have one out of seven league games where you haven't allowed your opponent to jump on you at either early on right out of the barrel where you're constantly playing uphill the whole day or down the stretch where you have to use all of your energy into a major comeback. You can't keep doing that and expect to win Big 12 games. Now, it is January. I think all three of us, despite the back-to-back games and despite how bad this performance was, for a variety of reasons that we're going to go over today, I think all of us feel that they're going to get it worked out. Kansas teams normally go through a lull in this time of year in the late part of January, and how could they not with this schedule? Kansas, just like every other Big 12 team, is going to lose three out of four Big 12 games at some point in this schedule. It's just going to happen. The games are too tough and too close. But at the same time, there are definitely things that are obvious that they need to figure out because as Nick said, yes, they're, they're getting quality performances from Jalen Wilson. But when guys like Grady Dick and Kevin McCuller go down, 
you just and go down in the sense where their quality, their performance dips. You just aren't going to be able to beat the quality teams in this league night in, night out, even if it is at Allen Fieldhouse. Landon, give me a little bit of a game story. I know normally we we tell uh, kind of a, a paragraph how the game went. This one, there really isn't a whole lot to talk about. It was ugly fast. Yeah, the game did open with some really fun to watch, fast-paced basketball. TCU still had the lead. It was 16-13, to 13, but shots were going in on both ends. The defense was pretty solid, but the teams were making shots. Uh, and that was at the first TV timeout. Looked like it was going to be a fun game, and then it was not. Uh, TCU went on a 17-0 run to take their first 20-point lead of the day, not their only 20-point lead of the day. Kansas would battle back a little bit to cut the lead to 10 by halftime. I was certainly feeling confident at that point. I was like, okay, here we go. Another slow start in the first half, but... You know, they're going to come back in the second half and get the win in Allen Fieldhouse. But 10 points was as close as it got for the rest of the afternoon. The Jayhawks only mustered 22 points in the second half. And as Nick said, uh, it was 12 for a large uh, large majority of that half. Uh, very bad offense, uh, which ensured a Horny Frog victory. Uh, we already talked about what we'd take away from this game. But, uh, yeah, really, really disgusting offensive second half. The first half, outside of that stretch of the TCU run, I actually didn't think Kansas played that poorly. Uh, it's just that run was pretty apocalyptic, but they did battle back. They made it a game. I thought it was going to be a game, and then they really just couldn't do much after that. Yeah, I think that was my takeaway is that even though Kansas got outscored by double digits in both halves, and you can look at this, and if you just take a look at the box score after not watching it, you would think, oh, wow, the second half was just like the first half. It was two very different halves. The first half, as Landon said, Kansas didn't really play that poorly. A lot of the shots TCU hit were contested threes. TCU shot almost 60% in the first half. There were several turnovers that created run-out opportunities for the Horn Frogs, which we talked about and everybody talked about. You can't do that against the Horn Frogs. They're the best team in the country in transition. Uh, so, really, with the exception of that, though, you score 38 points, and yeah, going down a half down 10, you're like, okay, this is manageable. It was 22. It's now 10. Also, it takes so much energy, so much exhaustion to, to get to that point. What you have to put in to cut 12 points off a deficit that it's just so hard to keep that momentum going uh, for an entire half after that. In the second half, they just looked flat. This is a team that's coming off an overtime game a few days ago. They looked tired. Everybody in this conference is going to look exhausted, but I thought Kansas really looked tired, which makes all the more sense why they were keeping their starters in all the way down the stretch of a game that was never close in the second half. The second half was just terrible. They didn't make shots. TCU's offense really wasn't that good in the second half. They added some points down the stretch. To, to I mean, they finished with what, like 33 points? in the second half TCU did or something like that 34 they didn't play that well especially they scored like eight points in the first seven minutes of the second half and Kansas was even worse so the Jayhawks had their chances just wasn't their day Nick I don't know the, the two halves feel different even if the results were the same uh this is back-to-back -back losses for Kansas just the 17th time in Bill Self's tenure they've done it uh, and the first time since 2013 where they've lost back-to-back -back games with one of them being a home game doesn't happen very often. But, Nick, when you look at this upcoming schedule, there's not a lot of time to regroup. And, and it's not like they're playing cupcakes here. They, they're going to have to get back on track against some of the big boys of the league. Yeah, I, I think this is, like I said, kind of reality setting. And they had a soft start to the conference slate, played, played a bunch of the teams that are going to finish at the bottom, and then 
didn't ease in any way at all uh, into the, the top dogs in the conference, like you said. And then with this game against Kentucky coming up, just a lot of room uh, for a slide to occur. So to deter that, they were going to have to have a strong performance this week against Baylor on the road. Um, but, yeah, I, definitely room for concern. And like I said, the biggest problem I think they've had is just the scoring opportunities. Um when when all thing else everything else is failing and you you can't rely on your defense because guys like Dewan Harris just aren't really playing very well. Kevin McCullough not defending very well, um, and you don't have that offense to combat fire with fire like TCU is capable of doing. And I don't think they've seen the team that moves as quickly in transition as TCU did uh, and played with similar tempo to they to them, which Kansas has been exploiting for years under Bill Self's offenses. So um, yeah, definitely a, a rude awakening for a team um, that started the season so well. And I think that that hopefully. Um, you're gonna have to start avoiding a two, three, four game losing streak. I was hoping too that after the national championship, that fans would be a little bit more patient when losses happen, and some of them have. I've noticed by following some of the same accounts over the years, the way some fans have handled this losing streak, uh, saying, "Hey, you know what? They won the title last year. That's given me a lot more confidence. They're gonna figure it out. It's not the end of the world." But one thing I want to preach, and this is not something that. Uh, I necessarily have thought about in the past, but it really hits hits differently. Kevin McCuller hasn't played well. I posted on Twitter that he hasn't been the same since the Texas Tech game when all of his former fans were, were chanting those horrible things at him. And the responses that I got on that, at least some of them, were, were just, I thought, really cruel. Some people were saying, well, he should expect it at Kansas. You're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to be tougher than that. And then the things I said to Andewan Harris hasn't been very good recently, and people are saying, yeah, and pointing out every negative thing about him. Guys, these are college kids that are playing a game for your entertainment, and they're very good at it. They're a top-five team. They're probably going to fall to about eight in the polls a year after winning a national championship. Something that I don't think any of us can comprehend is the amount of physical and mental toughness that it require that require is required to play in college sports. Correct. And physical exhaustion. These kids are playing exhausting basketball games twice a week and then going back out there and doing it again all for the entertainment of the fans. It's okay if they don't win every game. As fun as it would be to watch them win every game. They are 27 and 3 in their last 30 games. We took questions last week about if this team was better than last year's team, and now we're getting questions about how, can you see the first weekend exit coming? It's like, chill. They're going to be just fine. Landon, I don't know about you, but it feels like winning that title has given at least some of the fans a much longer leash with patience. It's going to be okay, but even if they lose every basketball game, it's okay to not push the send button on some of those tweets when when it gets a little line crossing about things that originate with, the team you root for not scoring as much points as they, they need to to win. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, there can still be room for criticism. Like, that is part of sports as well, and, and I think we're all aware of that. But, you know, there's certainly a, a pretty clear line in there, um, especially, I think, the more, even the older I get, and I'm still, you know, 22 years old. Um, but even the older I get, I, it becomes more and more clear to me that, like, Criticizing players, even college players, is is okay to do, um, but certainly, like, there's a much shorter leash that I have for criticizing young athletes, um, because this is college, like, even if you're playing at a really high level, like, even if you are a basketball player at Kansas, you're a football player at Florida, you know, at really, really high level programs in the public eye very much, 
this is still college. Most of these guys are going to go be investment bankers in, in three years, or they're going to sell real estate, or they're going to work at Dick's. Like, you know, like a lot of these guys aren't going to do much after this. Like, they're doing this for fun. They're doing this because it's their passion. They're doing this because it's, you know, a hobby that they can they can have a lot of fun with and, and be on TV for you for. Um, so, yeah, uh, I definitely think a lot of fans... Um, are, you know, realize that same thing, or certainly the national championship, or just being Kansas fans, has allowed them to, you know, be able to take a step back and kind of view, uh, view what they're watching more for what it is, uh, which is good, and, but certainly I think for, for anyone out there that's really, really getting after these guys or whatever, and I, I've been guilty of this in the past, don't get me wrong, um, you know, we all, we all grow and learn as we go, um, but certainly really, really getting after these guys, um, feels a little weird, feels weirder with each passing year for me. Nick, I know that, and we will talk about the game in a minute, I promise, but Nick, has winning the national championship last year given you a little bit less of a, uh, I'm trying to think of the right words, uh, a little bit more understanding and acceptance that things aren't always going to go okay and that we have it pretty good as Kansas fans for a team that, yeah, they may lose every now and then, but they're always going to be pretty good. Does that change your perspective after seeing them win the title? I don't think the national title changes that perspective per se. I think what it changes is uh, just this angst and and, uh, anger in the fan base and nervousness to get another national title because it's been so long. I think that that's been squashed. I think people are less concerned about postseason results and maybe the result of this season and this team. I think there's a little bit less urgency there because they just won the title. Although Kansas fans are pretty delusional sometimes and expect more than they can get and probably want to repeat the title which makes sense but I think the bigger thing here is just looking at sports from a more third person or outside perspective thinking maybe this game this this round ball that James Naismith decided to come up with into peach baskets maybe it really doesn't matter very much in the grand scheme of things and maybe what I'm putting on Twitter or maybe what I'm putting on social media uh, maybe my anger directed at a certain player or my my despise for what the result of the basketball game was maybe you are invested a little bit too much in, in college athletes dribbling a ball around. I think that that's definitely a perspective change that has happened at least in the past few years for me, maybe past the pandemic. You just kind of value things a little bit differently. And I'm not saying basketball can't be important and, and cheering for KU can't be important because it's definitely, definitely and certainly an emotional investment that all of us have taken over the past 10 years as KU fans. And beyond that, how old, however old you are, you know, just spinning at least two weeks a night watching the TV or going to games and spending money on KU athletics. I understand that element of it, but at the same time, it's sports, it's recreation where we do this because we enjoy the game. We enjoy KU. We enjoy the the joy that basketball brings us. And, uh, you know, criticizing players is just a little bit over the top. Um, I think that you should have some, some patience. These guys, I mean, you couldn't have the argument that they're getting paid because they are now with NIL, but but they're doing it, like Landon said, for the love of the game and, and really just um, enjoy enjoy watching it. And, and I think what I've learned in the past years, just as I've become a little bit more comfortable um, just enjoying games like this instead of getting so uptight about it and, and pacing around the living room, it's, it's just enjoy like that we get to watch games like this and, and that life brings us joys like sports and care less about Kansas losing two basketball games in a row. It's The sky is not falling, and I just think people need to, to put – delete Twitter, put it away and, and just live life in reality. Yep. Cause at the end of the day, it is just sports. It doesn't impact our lives. And my point of that is not to say don't care. Cause yes, the passion of Kansas fans is what makes them one of the best fan bases in the country. 
but don't care enough where you're letting things ruin your day, ruin your week, or talking, because there are real tweets about that day, well, thanks to Kevin McCullough's performance, my day's ruined. It's like, don't, don't do that. And we were all that's, there, too. Like, the, you could go back and listen to shows three years ago where we were all visibly upset. Landon was ripping yep. shirts off. Ryan was pacing the living room, getting really angry, too, and I was doing the same thing. But then, it, I mean, it's not like we had this nirvana or anything that just like, wow, we care too much about this. It's just like your priorities change in life. And I think that some people maybe this, I don't want to judge, but the social maturity aspect of it maybe for some people hasn't caught up yet. But uh, just probably a more balanced perspective on sports and, and you'll have a healthier reaction to results like this. And I honestly Completely do think agree. that like sadness is uh, to a degree, part of what makes sports fun in the long run. We've done this with KU football. That's what made that 5-0 and start for KU football that much more awesome was that we had been sad about KU football for the better part of, of you know, 12 years or whatever. But it's it's a measured it's a measured thing, right? Like, it, it's not it's not that day-ruining thing, especially just for regular season games. Like, yeah, sure, if this was a Final Four game like the Villanova game and they get blasted off the floor by 23 points, yeah, I mean, I would be significantly more sad about that than I am about this. Um, yeah, I, I think it just comes with a healthy degree of, of perspective. Um, and, and just, you know, like Nick was saying, just kind of, you know, realizing what's actually important. Sports, we make sports important, and that's what's fun about them, is because we can take joy out of that, and we can come together as a community, watch a team play, and celebrate it together, no matter, like, what else is similar or, or different between people. Uh, and that's what's really cool about it. But at the same time, that's what's fun, no matter what happens with your team, is that you can have that shared experience, and you can have that shared game you're watching, no matter what happens. We're just on the game right now and focusing on that. And that's what's fun. But I do think perspective is really important. Yep, I think that's all really well said. And now you're probably wondering, enough of the sentimental stuff and more with the crash sounds, the scream drops, you know, all that good stuff. Let's talk about the actual game. We begin with Jalen Wilson, who was easily the lone slash brightest spot for Kansas. Another huge outing for him. He finished with 30 points and 7 rebounds. High efficiency for Wilson, too. He was 11 of 21 from the floor. Made four threes, four out of nine there. He scored half of KU's points. Wilson, in two games this week, scored a total of 68 points on better than 50% from the floor. He may be the first player in Big 12 history to win Big 12 Player of the Year this week with an 0-2 record. He definitely deserves it. Uh, we had talked for a while about his efficiency that hadn't been as good, but Landon, I don't think there's anything at all that you can criticize about him either yesterday or in the game. I know you weren't on the K-State recap show, but how good he was there. He was every bit as good here. He was awesome. Yeah, he was great. Um, he was what largely kept Kansas even within striking distance in the first half. Uh, he was he was brilliant. He was brilliant in the K-State game as well. I should have had 40, Bill. Um <laughs> but no, he, he was fantastic. He is certainly, it, there's, there's nothing really to point out or criticize about his game. Uh, certainly, I wish he would have made a few more of his threes in the second half. Maybe could have kept it a little bit closer there as well, but he was fantastic. I don't know if we really need to analyze a whole lot more about Wilson just because he was really good. So let's move on to the, well, we normally, this is the point where we play the white guy of the game music, but because there is no white guy, it's just the team of the game, I guess, because as Nick and I told you on the last show, no one who's uh, no one who's listened to this uh, doesn't know how much of a TCU advocate I've been all year. I think they're the second best team in the Big 12 after Kansas, and the only part of that team that isn't top 10 good was their three-point shooting. So whenever they make threes, as they did in this game, they're going to look fantastic, and that's what happened. 
8 for 15 from deep. Over 50% for a team that's in the bottom 15 nationally in three-point percentage. They average about 29% as a team. And in this game, they came in and scorched the Nets. Also, an okay free-throw shooting team was 13 of 16 at the line. If only we could have seen that coming, Nick. We all talked about it. If TCU's making threes, it's going to be hard for the Jayhawks because... That's, that's really the lone weakness of this Horned Frogs roster. They are making threes, and their offense was untouchable. Yeah, uh, I mean, we always like to throw our hands up in the air. The white guy of the game segment's pretty good. It's always funny because it's pretty it's relatable. But, I mean, you, you look at it a little bit deeper, and you understand why it happens. Kansas gets everyone's best shot. Teams... Like people are like, oh, they're gonna be teams are gonna be rattled when they step into Allen Fieldhouse. A lot of these guys have played in Allen Fieldhouse for two or three, four years now, and going into Allen Fieldhouse is more of an adrenaline boost for them because they get to play in this this atmosphere. They get the opportunity to silence the crowd. They're confident. They're coming into this game. They're playing arguably the be- or the best team in the Big Twelve Conference since its inception, and they have the opportunity to play their best basketball in front of a big audience. Um, Kansas gets everyone's best shot, and Fran sure really likes to point that out. I think it's true. Um, so you have to expect teams, maybe teams experience more like TCU, to come in and shoot very well from the three-point line, especially if you're not guarding very well, um, which at times Kansas was lapsing, lapsing on the defensive end. There were some open shots in the corner where they just didn't get the right switches or rotations going. Um, but, yeah, you have to expect this. This isn't like a Texas Southern team coming in Allen Fieldhouse during headlights. Look, this is an experienced team led by Mike Miles. You know, Charles O'Bannon's been there for a while, and you got um, the big guy too on down low. So, I mean, you look at this team and, and their experience, so you can't expect anything else less. I mean, it was surprising coming after the West Virginia crap shoot. Um, where they just completely didn't show up for that game. But I think also that has to play in with it, that they weren't playing up for that game because West Virginia is not playing very well this season. It's, I think it's very psychological. Yeah, I, I agree. Allen Fieldhouse, we talk about how it rattles teams, and I think it works like that if KU jumps on them early. If you see Kansas jump to a 12-2 lead, it's going to be a long day for their opponent because, I mean, Fran Fraschilla says it over and over again. Uh, but whenever you get knocked out early in a 15-round fight, you're going to be in trouble. But the longer you hang around in there, the quieter the building gets, and the longer that you can have, the longer you you can grow that sense of oh, we can do this. And this is the third time in four games at home this year where we've seen the other team build a healthy lead at Allen Fieldhouse, and it just hasn't worked out for the Jayhawks every time to pull back as they they did in this game but it's not always going to happen uh landon we don't have a white guy of the game as annoying as it would have been to talk about a white guy on tcu going off but there was a white guy on kansas that unfortunately did not go off tell me about kansas's best shooter who is in a funk right now yeah as nick said earlier as well grady dick i think it is safe to say he is officially in a slump eight points on three of 13 shooting two of eight from deep and a lot of these looks are open, and they're just not dropping. Are we concerned about this? Do we think it is just a slump and he'll get out of it? What do we think the way to fix this might be? Nick, do you think that Grady Dick's ultimately going to be okay? Or was he maybe going to, like, maybe some of his early success was he was playing against worse teams? What do you think? No, he's always been a good three-point shooter in his career, and it's not like he's 
like like the the big argument at least from the KU fan perspective is that teams are guarding him and face guarding him and not let him get open shots. He had plenty of open looks in that game. They just weren't falling. And a shooter as good as him who has NBA draft potential going to go to the NBA draft this year, he'll be fine. Uh, he'll find his touch again. I think most players typically go through a slump like this at some point in their careers. Abaji did many times in his career, and so did many KU greats who were great three-point shooters as well. He's going to get over this. The, the question is, how long is it going to take for him to get back into his rhythm? And I think your, the answer to your other question, uh, are you concerned? I think you pretty much have to be concerned when Kansas is getting no bench production. I mean, Mike Miles literally went to the press the post-game presser and said that they weren't concerned because Kansas is only playing seven players and TCU's depth allows them to play 10. So they have a lot less of a focus on who to guard and, and what rotations and what the depth chart looks like. So when you have a guy like Grady Dick, who you have to rely on for points, um, outside of Jalen Wilson and, and outside of the, some of the big contributors at like KJ Adams, it's going to be a problem when he's not scoring the basketball. That's just the reality with the team who's only playing seven players and not going to their bench. I don't know if Brady Dick's in a slump. Everybody's talking about it like he's been, you know, in a slog. I mean, just the game before this, he he, he did he didn't play well against TCU or K State, right? Three for sixteen on threes in those two games. Does two games make a slump? Because he was great against Iowa State. He made five threes there, and then two games before that, he made four out of six in Morgantown. I don't know what a slump constitutes as, but I don't know if back-to-back games where he's not making half his threes is a slump. Still at forty-four percent on the year. Still shooting. He's had a he's made at least uh, two threes and half of more than half of his Big Twelve games. So I don't know if that's necessarily him playing poorly or just having a bad game or two, uh, but he did still make an impact in this game, as Landon said. He had scored eight points and had four rebounds. I mean, not the best performance by any stretch, but at least his slumps against K-State, where he wasn't shooting the bubble, he still scored 16. His slumps are still... I, I don't think he's a problem, if that's what's being asked. I, w- I still want him to keep shooting. Shoot his way out of a funk. Take 10 threes a game. And it's not something I'm concerned about. Uh, but, yeah, if we have a couple more games of this, you have a little bit more evidence of a slide. But I think as of now, it's just a couple of games. The five maybe, spot was... Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was go, just going to say, and maybe, maybe this is a little bit of an Andrew Wiggins syndrome where the expectation is just so high that, like, yep. anything that's slightly below that becomes a bit more concerning but i think ultimately i think you are right i don't think it's a huge problem shooters primary three-point shooters especially this is going to happen this happens to steph curry and clay thompson they have a couple bad games now and again uh where they you know they go three of 12 from three instead of seven of 11 um it's gonna happen it's it's a jump shooting thing i think he's gonna be fine yeah if it happens for a couple more games then maybe i start to be like okay maybe, maybe he is gonna drop but ultimately, yeah, I think as long as he can still contribute, and he is, um, the shooting will, will always come back. The five spot was arguably the biggest story of the game here. K.J. Adams was in foul trouble for most of the game, and he was auto-benched accordingly. Uh, yeah, two fouls or mid-second half or mid-first half, whatever, and then it, it may have wound up working out uh, because you saw how he got three fouls and then a fourth foul really quickly in the second half. He wasn't exactly great when he was on the floor either. One of six shooting, four points, five rebounds, 23 minutes. But he was significantly better than Zach Clements and Ernest Uday, who scored a combined three points in 13 minutes. We have talked for a while about K.J. Adams not being as tall as the typical five man. 
And when that happens, well, you're you're gonna there's going to be games where his lack of height hurts. We saw it against Tennessee. We wanted to know for a while what was gonna happen whenever they played another team kind of like Tennessee with height and athleticism in their front court. And well, we saw it here. Eddie Lampkin took him to school all day. TCU got lots of points at the basket. We saw Miles exploit this by driving as well. Just wasn't the matchup for Kansas. I don't think we're concerned about K.J. Adams not being a good basketball player because he is. But there is no doubt that Kansas has to get somebody developed that's taller than K.J. Personally, I think Ernest Uday is their best chance. They have to get somebody who's bigger than 6'6 that can play competent quality minutes at the 5. Otherwise, you're going to see K.J. get pick and rolled to death when teams pull him out closer to the perimeter. They drive in. K.J. has the speed to make up for it, but not the size. I didn't think he played poorly. I just didn't think that this was his matchup. Landon, Nick, give me some analysis. Zach Clements, I don't think I think we know what he is at this point. Ernest Uday does some good things, and it was great to see him play, but he's so raw. In this game, we saw him pick up three fouls in seven minutes. Just wasn't ready for this moment. Did have a nice block. What do you do? We're entering late January, and they have one five-man established, and that guy's 6'6". Six, six. Is this a problem? Yeah, it sure would have been great to see Ernest Uday on the floor a little bit more for the rest of the games, but oh well, what, what what's to be done? Uh, it's not like you were allowed to play him. It's against the rules. Um, so yeah, that would have been nice. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think trying to go with Ernest is probably your best chance because Zach Clements has given you uh, some genuinely solid minutes at times, but he's also given you some apocalyptic minutes. Um, I don't know. I, I think I think the best chance for Bill is to go with Ernest to try him. Zuby's also giving you some time, but he refuses to go with Zuby uh, anywhere near consistently. So I'm not quite sure. KJ is really good, but you definitely saw him get a little bit exploited here against Eddie Lampkin, who is very talented in his own right. He's a great player. Um, it's not exactly embarrassing to be outplayed by Eddie Lampkin, but certainly KU wants to avoid that. I, I think they have to develop someone with more size, and you really have two options for that. Nick, we have talked about KJ, and he's been very good this year. He's been one of their best players. Uh, but in this game, I think this shows just how bad they need a five. Landon kind of reiterated they need one, but the question I have for you is, can they get there? Is it too late in the year for some of these other guys, like Clements, Uday, Ajiafor? Uh, is it too late for, for those guys to actually develop and be quality players, or is Kansas just going to yeah. have to take some losses, and, and not literal losses, but take some growing pains in the next few weeks in order for them to establish those guys? I just think they're always going to be off the bench guys, at least for the rest of this year. And I think that TCU's execution was, was great. I mean, Eddie Lampkin's a matchup nightmare for any team in the Big 12. And I think Kansas – I'm not – you talk about overarching five, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not super concerned with Kansas. I think K-State showed shades of what they can really be with K.J. Adams, and, and he was definitely successful in that game. Uh, I think this is the worst and most exploitative matchup you can have against Kansas in its lineup, especially with the size of K.J. Adams. I don't think at this point the development of Ernest Uda, uh and and some of the other guys. I don't. I think Zach Clements is pretty much a lost cause still. I don't see anything from him that that shows him that he's developed very well. Size wise in the gym, I don't think he's gained as much weight or as much muscle as he's needed to. Uh, like you said, Ernest Uda is raw, um, and, and and I just don't think that they're going to get to the point this season, especially with the expectations that Kansas is going to have down the stretch and with this tough of a schedule that they're going to get any um, quality opportunity or they'll get the opportunity. I don't think they're going to get where you think they're going to get. 
Um, so I think that it's going to rely heavily on KJ Adams and his production. Like you said, I think this game is going to be a little bit of an outlier, uh, particularly because of TCU's size down low. But also, this is just another point in Kansas heading into the tournament that they're going to really want to draw a team that does not have that size of Eddie Lampkin. And it's probably going to be a weak spot for KU throughout the rest of the season. Let's talk about Dewan Harris because he did not play very well in this game. It kind of looked like we had the part of the Dewan Harris from last year that people were criticizing for not doing enough scoring and really not contributing much to the offense, which he could do at times last year. <laughs> Landon makes a very funny analogy that I cannot repeat on the uh, podcast about Dewan Harris being backslash not very good. He did have eight assists in this game, but he was 0 for 4 from the floor in 38 minutes which means that in two games this week, he went 1-for-11 shooting the ball. He has to take more than four shots. I think that's been established. But also, he has to make more than zero. Uh, Dewan should be a better shooter than this ever since we saw him make a bunch of threes in Lubbock. Now, I do think this is an example of when you could actually say it's a shooting funk. He was 3-for-6 in West Virginia, but started 2-for-2. Two so went 1-for-4 there, 0-for-1 against Oklahoma, 0-for-0 against Iowa State, 1-for-6 against Kansas State, and 0-for-1 yesterday. Those are shooting from threes. So he is a 1-for his last, like, 9 or 10, something like that, from three. Also did not make a field goal against Iowa State. So in the last three games, Kansas' starting point guard is 1-for-13 from the floor. Yes, 25 assists in those games. But also, he's had at least two turnovers in each of those as well. Nick, Dewan Harris is not giving them the minutes that they're really needing. He is passing the ball well. But especially whenever you look at the backup point guards, Bobby Pettiford is giving them nothing at this point. In this game, he had uh, 13, 13 minutes, two points, two turnovers, only one basket there. Joe Yesifu, no points in seven minutes off the bench. Where is the point guard production going to come from? Is this just the slog from Dewan Harris, or are we concerned that there may be bigger problems here? Uh, well, props to Dewan Harris, and I know we just had a segment about not criticizing players, but when we get to the point where you know I was criticizing him all last season, and then uh, he, he starts to look better, and then we're like, maybe uh, props to Dewan Harris for being good, and now he's decided after we've made those comments to, to not be as good uh, after that, which I think is funny. Um, but yeah, I, I think that um, you can classify this as a slump. I, but it, it, when you look at his career and you see how many of these types of slumps he's had, um, I think that that's it's cause for concern. Uh, but I think that the volume, I definitely what I am positive on with Dewan Harris is that he's actually shooting more than he did last year. Um, he's still firing even though he's missing, which is which is what Kansas needs. They need other guys to take shots other than Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick specifically. So I think that's a good sign. Uh, I think they need to start going in though. And uh, I've always been concerned about his ability to make threes. Uh, the Texas Tech game and, you know, the West Virginia game kind of squashed that a little bit. But it is definitely a concern when your point guard um, is not giving you the production required. Particularly, my biggest concern with Dewan Harris is at the K-State game, I know he's concussed, but these passes haven't been crisp. He's, he's made quite a few turnovers. His, his assist-to-turnover ratio has gotten worse. Um, and he's just not as crisp in, in the Dewan Harris we've seen in the past. I don't know if that's just because of the re residual from the, the, the head hit or whatever that happened against K-State or what. But uh, definitely, uh, I think Dewan Harris's performance has been cause for concern as of late. And Landon, I don't know if there's a fix with this because we saw this Dewan Harris last year. 
He's definitely not going to look to score on the season, averaging seven points, which is an upgrade from a season ago. But, like, I don't really know if there is a... I don't really know what, what Kansas can do at this point with him. Like, they don't have a Remy Martin that you can bring off the bench this year. I was hoping Bobby Pettiford could be, like, 70% of Remy Martin in the sense where he could score six to ten points uh, per game just coming off the bench. But he doesn't look to score either. And in a game wherever Kansas desperately needed offense, Self has a makeshift lineup of... Harris, Pettiford, KJ Adams, uh, who else was out there at one point? Uh, Ed McCuller, like guys that aren't look, guys that are going to look to score every time. It's going to make putting together comebacks really tough, especially if Grady Dick isn't going to shoot the ball well. Yeah, Remy Martin was tough because he was basically a college basketball Chris Paul in a lot of ways, at least offensively. Um, so that makes it really that, that's a really tough guy to replace, and they certainly have shown that. I mean. The bench, I mean, has not been very good in general. Uh, they got outscored by the TCU bench 39-8 to yesterday. Um, or, you know, whatever day you were listening to this uh, against TCU. Uh, so that's pretty bad. And, yeah, I mean, the point guards definitely are not that. Joe Yesfu has been able to score you a couple of baskets here and there. Um, Zach Clements gets a basket or two. Zubi G4 can get a basket or two. But that's, I mean, but oftentimes also that's isolated incidents. It's not like they all get a basket or two. In one game, it's usually like, well, Zuby had four points, Joe Yespo had two, no one else scored anything, six bench points, or something like you had in this game. That's a problem. That's a big problem for this team, because if you are going to have nights where Dewan Harris can't shoot the ball, and Grady Dick is uh, not shooting the ball, he's in a bit of a slump. And, like, those are going to happen, because, again, jump shooters are just going to miss shots sometimes, and that's how it's going to go, even great ones. And Dewan Harris is certainly a guy that can score, but uh, is a guy that isn't going to score often enough. Um... They have no one to supplement that problem um, right now, and I don't think you're going to get it unless MJ Rice just gets really healthy down the backstretch and turns into a better scorer than I think he is right now. That's that's the biggest problem, I think. You you need someone to come out of nowhere, and I am, I'm doubtful that that's going to happen. I don't know what their best play is going forth, too. How do you fix this? What do you If you're going to have a game where Jalen Wilson is, is being Jalen Wilson— and Grady Dick's not being very good. Where does Kansas look to get scoring? Is it Kevin McCuller? I know that's what, who we're going to talk about next, but what do they do in that point? Well, so far it's been KJ Adams. Would you agree with that, Nick? Yeah. And what do you, what do you, what would be your take here, Nick? Do you think they just they have to have KJ or McCuller scoring, or else they're cooked? Or or what what do you try to manufacture here if you're Bill Self? I try to manufacture MJ Rice if I'm Bill Self. You guys are talking about Remy Martin. The best clone to Remy Martin on this team is MJ Rice. And I know I know that the, the KU fan base and you guys are going to say that, well, we haven't really seen enough of him offensively. Uh, he's still hurt. And he, that's, what, that's what they say. Um, <laughs> Apparently he turned down Bill Self about going back into the game. Yesterday he did. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, well, if that's the case, then I don't know what I'm talking about. But I, I have a hard time believing sometimes that Bill Self's telling the truth, especially after Remy Martin's saga, uh, where he de- definitely didn't tell the truth a lot of times. Uh, but, yeah, once he gets healthy and he's comfortable, I don't know what's going on with that situation. He, MJ Rice is going to be the the, the, the part of this that, that, that gets plugged into the situation. I don't think you can hope for Joe Yesfu or Bobby. Bobby Pettiford's never been a scorer. Um, let's just be honest with that. Uh, Kevin McCullough really hasn't been a scorer this year as well either. He had some clutch shots down the stretch, but he hasn't been great at all. So I don't think you're going to have to, I don't think you're going to be able to rely on those guys, to be honest. And you're going to have to rely on the guy that hasn't gotten the minutes yet 
and we have seen sparks of him being good where he scored 16 points in December. Um, and I think that's, that's going to, he's got to get healthy, man. He's got to get healthy. They need him. Yeah. And we've, we've had some harsh words for Bill Self for not having MJ Rice play more minutes. And obviously you see stuff like this happen where, yeah, apparently Brian Haney said on the radio that Bill Self tried to get MJ Rice to get in the game a couple times in the second half and, and MJ Rice turned it down. It's very unusual to hear of any players telling his coach, no, I can't play. We obviously watched Patrick Mahomes yesterday hopping around on one foot and was not going to hear anybody tell him that he couldn't play. Uh, that's very strange, and I'm definitely not trying to get into the, oh, well, these kids need to be tough argument, but like that's weird to hear a player who's not playing get an opportunity to play and and turn it down. Like that's There's got to be something going on at that point, right? Super weird. You'd imagine the, he's got to be in, in a pretty good amount of pain for that to be true. And Bill Self had told MJ Rice before this game you're going to play. That was in the works. They need MJ Rice. That This game, and I know Landon has differing opinions about MJ Rice than all of us. We, I think he could be a good score off the bench. But that was the chance right there. You're going to have to get scoring out of these guys, and MJ Rice is your best option. Kevin McCuller, he was quietly okay in this game. He had 10 points on 5 for 6 shooting, along with 4 rebounds in 29 minutes. But the KU bench had just 8 points. Kevin McCuller is not going to score 20. KJ Adams most nights are, is not going to score 20. You need bench points if you only have one, maybe two players that you can rely on to get to 15 points. Um, the bench, we talked about that. TCU got 39 bench points. Kansas got eight. I mean, just a total whipping in that sense. When Joe Yesifu, Zuby Ejiofor, and MJ Rice do pretty much nothing in limited minutes. And the eight bench points is misleading. They really had five because it, Michael Jankovic isn't in their rotation. He had a meaningless three-pointer. That Landon didn't see live because he was playing FIFA before the game ended, which is fine. Um, I think we pretty much already talked about everything we need to in this game. Uh, the bench was disappointing. Whenever Jalen Wilson is your only scorer, then you're going to really struggle to get much of anything going. And they did. The defense wasn't good. The offense wasn't good. Any final takeaways here? I, I don't think there's anything to really say about Kevin McCuller. He was fine. Like that. My takeaway is they're going to be okay, and that was probably the worst game they're going to play all year. But yeesh, they need to be better than that. Yeah, uh, really bad performance. I think the level to which it was bad is what was fluky. The loss in and of itself was not, because I do think they've been flirting with this for a while. Um, it's not going to get easier either. They're going to play a really tough schedule. Uh, even if Kentucky is not as good as they normally are, that's a really tough place to win games. Uh, still a very talented team. Uh, and right back into Big 12 play coming up soon. So it's, it's going to be tough. Uh, I think... I agree. I think Kansas can be just fine ultimately. I think they still have a very, very, very good chance at a one seed um, and a very good chance of winning the Big 12 outright in the regular season. But certainly um, not a couple, uh, not not a good couple games for Kansas. And this one was especially bad. Yeah, not much else to report for me. But um, yeah, you're right, Ryan. They, they got to be a lot better than that. Nick, do you have any final takeaways? Not really. I mean... I'm not as optimistic as you guys. I think that coming into this season, I thought there were some question marks offensively. Uh, Kansas, for the most part, has evaded those because they've snuck out some wins when other teams, they've been able to stymie the other team's uh, shooting. Uh, I think that the biggest concern is when teams aren't going to be stymied and they're going to make a lot of shots. Kansas is not going to win those games. Final numbers for Kansas. They're not great. They were better in the first half. They played much better offensively before halftime. 39% from the floor, 33% on threes, 7 of 21. Second game in a row, we've seen that be rough. Only six or 63% at the line, but it was only on an 11-shot sample size. 
This is a game that I was hoping Kansas could pull out because we had said at the beginning of the year if they could start 6-1 and one in Big 12 play, that would be huge. They almost did. Now, obviously, some of those teams wound up being better than we thought. We thought that they would roll teams like K-State before the season started. Obviously, they wound up being a lot better than we thought. Uh, TCU's better than a lot of people thought they were going to be. Uh, they opened against Oklahoma State, and that game was tougher than a lot of people thought. 5-2 and two through 7 league games is about right. They honestly could be 4-3. and three. And the schedule's going to continue to be tough, but how many... I'll save the Big 12 questions whenever we get to that part in the show, uh, but definitely something that we thought this team could be a little better than the spot they're at now. Still have a nice record overall, though the schedule is about to get even tougher. Big 12 games. Well, there's one team that is in control of this conference at this point, and it's definitely not the one that we thought would be at the beginning of the year. Number 13, Kansas State, 68, Texas Tech, 58. Yes, you know what happens next. Through seven games, the Wildcats, who originally were picked to finish last in the Big 12 by the coaches, they are an outright possession of first place. This was a battle for K-State, though, as Texas Tech had it tied at the under-eight timeout, but a 10-0 run over the next six minutes iced it for K-State. 23 points from Marquise Noel. 15 and 11 rebound double-double for Keontae Johnson. Uh, you know, I, that is the best duo in uh, the Big 12 at least this season. Uh, the Red Raiders are 0-7 in Big 12 play, which is weird because they're not that bad, but they have come up on the short end of every game so far in conference play. 0-7, they shot just 32%. Uh, not good. The Red Raiders uh, look to be headed directly for last place. Not a good performance for them. Great performance for K-State. Um, and they have the lead in the Big 12 through the first seven. Nick, I know that you've been the highest of all of us on Kansas State, and the, the stock price continues to get higher. They're 17-2. and two. Uh, What's this team's final record going to be in the Big 12? Kansas State is going to finish the Big 12 with a 13-5 and five record. I still think I'd take an under on that. I don't know. I I think that that stretch is coming, and they're, they have a big one in Ames this week. That's going to be big. If they win that one, then I think you really got to start talking about them as they really could win this conference. Uh, they're project like if the season ended today, they're a number one seed, right? Yeah, probably. Isn't that crazy? Playing in they, this conference? Yeah, they would be a one seed if the season ended today. Um, one of the teams that they are competing with are the Cyclones, who ultimately take an L here. Oklahoma State, 61, number 12. Iowa State, 59. Nick, tell me about how the Cyclones had a chance to leap over KU in the standings, and instead they remain tied. Yeah, and they blew a lead. Uh, shocker, the Cyclones led 19-5 to through seven minutes, but they saw their lead slowly evaporate. Uh, they scored just five points over the final six minutes of the game, uh, 18 points for Avery Anderson, 13 from Caleb Boone. Iowa State whistled for 23 fouls to Oklahoma State's 12. Which is, as you can imagine, Iowa State fans were totally accepting of the one-sided officiating on Twitter. Uh, Iowa State, Landon Nick says that K-State wins 13 games. How many does Iowa State win? They're 5-2 and two right now in the league. 5-2 and two right now. That's 11 games to go. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I am going to say probably 11-7. and seven. Okay. So you still think that they both K-State and Iowa State are over 500 the rest of the year. I think one of them will not be. I think Iowa State, while being scrappy take. and gritty, they're going to be in a lot of these games. I don't know. I think that Iowa State's going to lose, going to have a, a stretch where they lose quite a few coming up. Uh, tell me where in the Big 12 you think Iowa State will place. Is 11-7 and seven good enough for top three? 
five. Four. A lot of wins to be had by other Big 12 teams. I think this game just ultimately showed why Iowa State is lacking compared to those other Big 12 title contenders. They don't have that superstar player like K-State and KU both have that can win them games down the stretch. They had no business losing this game with the lead that they had throughout the day. And the Pokes are kind of just hanging around, probably going to be close on Selection Sunday. Number 21, Baylor, 62. Oklahoma, 60. Feels like I've watched this game Every time these two teams get together where it's even and Oklahoma screws up down the stretch. Down by two with 90 seconds left. Jalen Bridges and Adam Flagler made back-to-back -back threes to lift Baylor to its fourth straight win. Flagler led the way with 16 points. Keontae George and LJ Cryer combined to go 5 of 23 from the floor. Guys, guess what happens on Monday? <laughs> we know. They, they make a lot more than five baskets. Is Oklahoma a tournament team? Nick, what do you think? At the moment, no. I think they're on the outside looking in. Same. I think they're going to be close, but I think they're going to be outside looking in. I mean, the losses are going to start to accumulate quickly. That's six losses already for uh, for Oklahoma this year. you got to figure they're losing at least four or five more. So if you enter the Big 12 tournament with 11, 12 losses, you're, you're giving yourself very little room for error. And they still have a bunch of tough games remaining because they play in this conference. Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, who's more likely to make the tournament? Probably Oklahoma State. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I think they're But I think, right they're I think they're going to be on the outside as well. I, really? Because that would mean that the Big 12 only has six teams in. You don't think they get seven? Uh, at this point, I do not. I think they do. I think that it's just going to be West Virginia and, the, and Texas Tech that are out. You, so you think they get eight? I think they get eight. Wow. Yeah, I think I think seven's pretty safe. The eighth is going to be close. Baylor in this game just continues to prove why that 0-3 start was the unfortunate mirror of uh, mirroring of Kansas's fortunate 3-0 start because they lost on the last play of the game, essentially, to K-State, and then they lost a real close game to TCU where they were in control. Baylor could easily be 6-1 right now. Instead, they're 4-3, and, and we have a showdown on Monday with Kansas and Baylor. Pretty wild to think that Baylor can make up three games on Kansas in a six-day window, but that is what's going to happen if Kansas loses on Monday night and the finale of the Big 12 games this week. Number seven, Texas, 69, West Virginia, 61. Uh, Landon, tell me about how the Longhorns, it's not super sexy and they're not getting the flair the other teams are, but they just keep winning Big 12 games. Yeah, Texas is pretty good. They control the second half behind 23 points from Marcus Carr, they're quietly 16-3 overall, still a top-10 team in America. Um, unlike West Virginia, who has, you know, pretty much nothing of interest to talk about here, they turned it over 20 times, they made 20 baskets. That's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> West Virginia, not very good. Texas, I think actually pretty solid. Yeah, and what Texas is doing with an interim coach is really, really impressive. Uh, whenever you take a look at just how hard that is to do, to still a month and a half later be rallying around that guy and winning games and Rodney Terry, that it's it's a good performance. And Texas, I think, has has they're starting to impress me more and more as this could be a team that's different than those Texas teams of years past that just open up each tournament by laying an egg. Big 12 standings, first outright place is Kansas State at six and one. In second place, a three-way tie for the moment. Kansas, Iowa State, and Texas, all five and two. In fifth is TCU and Baylor at four and three. Uh, seventh place is Oklahoma State. They are three and four. Eighth is Oklahoma, two and five. Ninth, West Virginia, one and six. 
And then all alone at the bottom, the Red Raiders of Texas Tech in a standing that nobody saw coming are 0-7 in Big 12 play. Other games. Well, the highest ranked team to lose was Kansas. But if you take them out of the equation, the highest ranked team to lose since the last show was number 5 UCLA, who took a close loss in Tucson to number 11 Arizona, 58-52. The offense was terrible. But Omar Bailo led the way with 16 points for the Wildcats. He's an excellent player. Who is the best team in the Pac-12? Arizona. Arizona. I still think it's UCLA. They took a close loss on the road against the second-best team. UCLA, that was their first Pac-12 loss. I still think they are the class of the league. Duke got a revenge uh, Got revenge on. Number 17, Miami. They did a revenge uh, for their upset <laughs> win at Cameron last year, winning 68-66 behind the return of Jeremy Roach. At the top of the conference, number 10, Virginia beat Wake Forest on the road by nine. But the league remains. Uh, number 19, Clemson, the league leader. Man, I am reading nothing well. Uh, number 19, Clemson, edged out Virginia Tech 51-50. The Tigers are 8-1 in ACC play, you know, just as we all predicted. Clemson leading the conference ACC's in basketball. so bad. It's so bad. The uh, juggernaut of the SEC and arguably unanimous best team in the country number four alabama clobbered missouri on the road 85 to 64 they've won like eight straight games by 20 plus points uh guys they're going they're going to win the title uh they're seven and zero in conference play the crimson tide are 17 and two and their only two losses are gonzaga and yukon chasing them in the league are number nine tennessee who easily won at lsu number 16 uh, auburn crushed south carolina on the road and Kentucky beat Texas A&M, meaning the Wildcats made up two games this week on the all-time wins list, wins list down by seven games behind the Jayhawks. The Big East is my favorite non-Big 12 conference to follow just because there's always, like, there's real quality teams there. One of them is, uh, or one of the ones that is not a quality team is Georgetown because number eight, Xavier, hung 95 on the Hoyas, handing them their 29th straight Big That's East impossible. loss. Arguably the most impressive than KU winning 16 straight titles. Yeah, it's legitimately impossible to lose that many conference games in a row, and there's no end in sight because they keep getting worse. Arguably the most impressive performance nationally this week was what number 20 Marquette did to Seton Hall on the road, winning 74 to 53. I love this Marquette team. I think Shaka Smart's Golden Eagles is the best offensive squad he's ever had. Crown them. They're not losing early in the tournament this year like Shaka always does, right? He never does this. Marquette never never loses weird games in the tournament, regardless of Shaka or not. Right, yeah, and you put them together, and you're you're bound to just have a whole bunch of chaos, I guess. But I think Marquette's pretty good. I think they're the best team in the Big East. I don't know if the final standings will show that, but they have my vote for best team in the conference. Bouncing back from their hilarious loss to Loyola Marymount was number six Gonzaga. Uh, they beat Pacific. Despite giving up 90 points, they won 99 to 90. Uh, Ryan says bleep their fans. I disagree. Their I fans did. are fine, but oh, yo, Gonzaga you... is 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 meh. No, no, no. You shut up about their fans. Their fans suck ass. I was dealing with. Uh, I tweeted that if Kansas is to beat TCU and then Kansas is to beat Kansas State at home, they would have a three-game home winning streak against three ranked teams, which is more than Gonzaga just played in their 75-game home winning streak. And then their fans were all laughing about how, well, I guess that's not going to happen. Yeah, what do you losers know about beating or losing the top 15 teams at home? You kind of proved my point how TCU beat Kansas. That's what would happen to Gonzaga a lot if they played top 15 teams at home. Go fall into the Pacific that you just beat. Hmm. Uh, ranked teams lose since the last show. Uh, number five. Uh, nope. There's a higher one. Number two, Kansas. 
Damn it! They lost to TCU. The very horny frogs. <laughs> Number five, UCLA lost to Arizona. Number 12, Iowa State lost to the Cowboys in Stillwater. And number 17, Miami, they lost to the fighting John Shires. Only Something four ranked teams. There. Oh, mm, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, let's do Ask so Something also went wrong with the uh, picture below them. Oh, yes, yes. There's a picture that we just have sure. in the notes that's uh, Mark, the body it's been cam there for footage a few weeks of, now. of Mark Few getting pulled over with his DUI. Ossifer, I did not drink and drive. <laughs> I did not drink and drive, Ossifer. You cannot give me the sobriety test. Yep. Yeah, that's it's uh, that 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 dude. It's kind of like Chris Beard's. Legal that's what he did. If you watch the body cam footage, that's what he did. It's kind of like Chris Beard's legal footage, wherever he was like, "I have video proving she's lying." Okay, well, may we see the tapes? No, you may not. <laughs> kind of love the intelligence by some of these coaches. How can you prove that? How can you prove that I've ever been able to say the alphabet? Hmm? <laughs> Maybe I never learned it. All right, Landon, you're gonna drive on Ask RCB today because my voice is starting to give out here uh we got eight questions you ask i'll answer i'll nick and i will be the audience today all right let's see what we have refreshing the page making sure i get all those good good questions up and ready to roll uh let's start with uh from at ajsn underscore official why can't ku get another seven footer like udoka oh yeah they just grow on trees that'd be really easy to go get one of those be nice though wouldn't it Nick, you got any particular reason why they can't? Uh, they should go get the guy from France. Make him come to the mm. KU before he goes to the league. Oh, you yourself, ta- Adidas, work something out. Are you talking about that kid that's like guaranteed to go Victor first? Victor Wenbanyama. Yeah, that the, the seven four kid that's knocking down threes like Kevin Durant if he was a half a foot taller. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Oh man, can you? Bill would Bill would let him get two fouls and then sit on the bench, and he wouldn't start over like senior Joe Yesifu. Bill Self would start uh, Dewan Harris and uh, Bobby Pepper Cle- together. Senior Zach Clements. And, yeah, he would start Zach Clements over Victor Wembanyama. He would. He's like, well, I, you know, he's so soft. He, he, we gotta, we gotta get him some backup minutes. He can't guard. Uh, another one from at AJSN underscore official non basketball related. So here we go, the real stuff. Nintendo, Xbox, or PlayStation? And then he also says, what are your thoughts on AI-generated art? Let's start with the the gaming consoles, and then we'll move on to AI-generated art. Uh, It's Nintendo because of all the Mario stuff, and then followed by PlayStation because it has the best graphics. Uh, PlayStation for me. I don't play enough games to make Nintendo worth it, uh, and I have just been used to PlayStation over uh, Xbox controllers, so... Probably PlayStation, then Nintendo, because the Switch can be fun at times, and then Xbox, because I've played it, like, all of twice. I feel like I don't hear Nick talk about video games very much. I don't I Shock- don't play video games. <laughs> Shocking. He doesn't watch movies. He doesn't play video games. I don't know what he does at this point, honestly. He does graphic design all the time, I guess. He talks about how women with tattoos are ugly and watches KU basketball. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. It's okay. Everybody has their hobbies. I watch Branson Visitor TV Network reruns all the time. It, it, we all have something. Nick, if you had to choose between the, one of the three, what one would you choose? Probably PlayStation. Good answer. And then uh, do we love or hate AI-generated art? Because I think it should die. Really? That's I interesting. I don't really care. I, I think it's cool. It's cool, but it uh, it's it's kind of problematic in, in the grand scope of things. Yeah, I can understand how it would be in a few ways. Use your powers for good and not evil. Yes, please. 
Let's see what else we got here. Uh, from at Elliot Roosan H1. So, uh, TCU question mark. Also, uh, Grady. I, I, I think told Elliot you. has some concerns he can't quite verbalize. I told you TCU was good, guys. I told you that. If they would have won that Texas game, which they should have, they'd be 5-2 and two right now. They are the second-best team in the Big 12. They will finish top three in the league. They're very good. This is a team that brought back basically their entire roster from a should-have-been Sweet 16 team last year. Jamie Dixon's a great coach. His teams are always tough to beat in transition, and they are completely fearless in, the, in these road venues. TCU already has road wins at Baylor and at Kansas. They're very good. I thought Kansas would be them at Allen just because I think Kansas is going to beat everybody at Allen but yeah they, this this was always I'm not going to say easy to see coming but I don't know who didn't expect TCU to be really good Nick we talked about Grady Dick a little bit earlier of course but do you want to re- reiterate any of that for for Elliot here I'm not sure if there's really much to reiterate I think that uh he's nearing a slump Ryan says he's not there yet I think that that it, another game will probably tell um in due time if that's the case but he's 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 got to get better just two games. Elliot not also asks. Yet. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Elliot also asks if we had to create a business, what would it be about? <laughs> I I have a smart aleck answer, but Nick would get mad at me if I made it. So I'll just say I will. If I had to make a business, I will. I will. I don't know what. That's a good question. I don't know. I would sell my uh, audio drops on this podcast where you have to charge royalty fees to listen to. Damn it, Bill! On repeat. I would create an entertainment conglomerate like Entertainment 720, created by Tom Haverford and Parks and Rec. There you go. I'll, I'll, I'll step in on that one. I'll be your first investor. You'll be my John Ralphio, and then we can get Landon <laughs> Lucas shooting baskets um, on, a, on a court that we made inside the building. Totally down with it. Nick is really the one to ask that question, too, because he's, he's in master he's, school. He's, an, he's, gonna, yeah. he's an actual business guy. Yep. Yeah, I'd probably start a consulting firm, just help businesses solve challenges. Nick is too smart there for you. all of us. Yeah, way too smart. Uh, uh, speaking of Nick being smart, uh, at Ryan underscore Landreth, <laughs> uh, I know that guy. Uh, what is worse in Nick's opinion, KU's performance yesterday or a woman with multiple large tattoos? <laughs> well, I hate these questions. <laughs> like, Ryan, Ryan sends, a pi- sends a picture. Of, so we have a group chat. You probably know by now. We always mention it. But we have a group chat where you just you know, talk about games and random stuff. And, and he sends a picture one day of this girl covered in two sleeves on both of her arms, fully covered in tattoos. I mentioned that she wasn't attractive in my personal opinion. And Ryan since has gotten the notion that I am completely so conservative, Derek Schmidt conservative that I think that a woman <laughs> with a tattoo on her wrist is, uh, is a uh, heresy. So that is certainly not the case. And uh, I, I don't think a woman with tattoos is worse than that performance we saw yesterday. There you go. Okay, I was just wanting to know where where it ranks on the grand scheme of things. The performance yesterday was worse than the worst tattoo I've ever seen in my life. Maybe that's not true, actually. I don't know. Yeah, some tattoos are pretty bad. There's some really bad ones out there. Um, From at... I'm going to go with Timber. From at Timber Allen. uh, Why do we continue to struggle against uh, longer, more athletic teams for years and then have 100 guards coming in next year? I mean, that's the compl- That's also like the same people who ask that question can't complain about Bill Self not adjusting because this is the way the game is going. Longer and more athletic uh, players at all the positions on the on the court. You're not seeing the traditional, you know, five man anymore. That these are the sort of teams that that are being built in college basketball. 
and KU is countering that with one of their own. So it's you're not going to have that seven-footer that's standing in the middle of the court like Doak that can just block things. Kansas has a long athletic five in KJ Adams that's undersized. So it is a struggle, but it's also something that everybody struggles against. I mean, did you watch TCU? A lot of teams struggle against them. A lot of teams aren't able to keep the turnovers down. Eddie Lampkin bullies everybody down low. Like, not being able to, to shut that down doesn't mean KU's bad. Sometimes you just play really good teams, and I think everybody in college basketball is struggling to uh, to defend that sort of attack. Anything to add there, Nick? I don't think so. From at Dick underscore Taser, worse fans... KU or Philadelphia Oof. Eagles fans. Oof, Eagles fans will throw a battery at your head, throw up on 11-year-old girls, assault uh, somebody, Chief Z, boo draft picks, etc. KU fans want the best coach in the game fired. They lose their minds because they lost at home. Call players the worst whatever, insert verb here, or uh, whatever that would be. I, grammar's not my strong suit. Uh, and eat at Mrs. E's. What is Mrs. E's? I Googled it. It was a dining yeah, hall or something. This disease is a dining hall on, on uh, Daisy Hill where all the KU uh, dorms are. Oh, is I it have, bad? It's not great. I have no tolerance for anybody criticizing Bill Self. Damn it, Bill! We're not going to do that on the show. And in all here's the thing. I have no idea how you could compare KU fans with violent, uh, violent criminals from Philadelphia that literally criminals that that's what you're talking about that behavior um philadelphia is a weird weird sports town very toxic i think ku fans are pretty toxic just in a different way i think ku fans are knowledgeable about basketball they they truly know what's going on i'm not saying philadelphia fans don't know what's going on but ku fans are a little bit more rational sometimes i think sometimes that ku ku fans have a superiority complex and uh they've got so accustomed to bill self winning them games they're a little pampered and they become whiny brats when ku loses yeah, and also, uh, Philly fans throw snowballs at Santa Claus, too. You left that one off. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Um, from at NDLong7, if you are Bill Self, what do you do to right this ship? How do you get shooters in slumps? That uh, How do you get shooters that are in slumps out of them? Uh, and how do you get Bill more Self offensive production? Bill Self easily get them in slumps, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Keep shooting. How do you get shooting. more offensive production out of the point guards? Keep shooting. And Dewan Harris, I, I think Bill Self is always in Dewan Harris's grill about shooting more. I think he's always trying to get Dewan Harris to shoot more. It, he just doesn't. That's not really on Bill Self. Uh, Grady Dick just keeps shooting the ball. Kevin McCullough's the one that's got to get going, though. They need Kevin McCullough to shoot a couple threes each game and make them. Like, that's a problem. And it's frustrating whenever it's not happening, but I don't think Bill Self is telling them not to shoot. I think Bill Self probably is telling them to shoot, and there's only so much he can do at this point. I'll take at Cam Lippo Golf's question. If you had to listen to Whopper on a loop for 24 hours... Or be guaranteed whopper, that whopper, Fran whopper, commentates whopper. every Kansas game for the rest of your life. Which one are Fran. you choosing? Oh, I would, I would end up like a Philadelphia fan if I listen to Whopper 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 <laughs> for 24 hours straight. So I think I might act. My brain might actually melt. They talk about AI reprogramming everything we do. <laughs> I think if we listen to Whopper 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 for 24 hours straight. Watch is there it. someone out there that confuses the song WAP with Whopper? Oof. Yeah, yeah. That'd no. be hilarious. They are very different Whapper, things. Whopper, 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 Whopper. Uh, there is, uh, if you watch sports on streaming services uh, instead of TV, you see that commercial significantly less. Suddenly, the grainy pixels that Nick complains about with ESPN Plus don't sound so bad when you don't have to listen to all day. 
Uh, yes, I would listen to Fran always and forever before I'd listen to 24 hours of that. We just heard about a combined 20 seconds of that, and it makes me want to kill myself. It's fair. Uh, that's all we have for Ask RCBs. If you ever want to ask an Ask RCB, uh, respond to the tweet where Ryan asks for your Ask RCBs. Or don't. <laughs> all right, here is a big game on the horizon here. Number two, Kansas at number 21, Baylor. Big Monday, January 23rd at 8 o'clock on ESPN Plus. Just kidding. It's on regular ESPN, which means you probably get Fran Fraschilla. So maybe I want ESPN Plus. Baylor. They are 14 and 5 overall, 4 and 3 in Big 12 play, but four straight wins for them. They've out they've uh, they've rebounded after losing their first three league games. Though they beat Gonzaga and UCLA, They've shown vulnerability several times, like losing to Virginia, getting blasted by Marquette, and failing to be competitive at Iowa State. So a mixed bag for the Bears, but they certainly at least appear to be getting things back on track full-time. They call this podcast a mixed bag, too. Uh, Leading the Bears (laughs) is superstar freshman point guard Keontae George, who averages 18 points and 3 assists per game. A good three-point shooter at 36%. Uh, He does draw a lot of contact and converts, though, at the free-throw line for 81%. Uh, he is paired in the backcourt with two elite wings and Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer. They both average about 15 points per game, and they shoot over 40% from three. So if you thought the three ball was going to stop firing against KU, uh, put that away. Yeah, they're really good. They're really good. That trio is excellent. Probably the best trio, or as good as anyone in college basketball. Unlike in the past, though, Baylor doesn't have an anchor in the middle, as their best front court player is 6'7 power forward Jalen Bridges. He's a West Virginia transfer that is their leading rebounder, averaging 9-5. and five. He is not a three-point threat. Nigerian freshman 6'10", Josh Ojawana, is their starting center that adds 6-4. and four, But he fouls every six minutes and can't stay on the floor. He's going to be excellent in a couple years, but still pretty raw right now. Flo Thamba, your more typical Baylor big, the K.J. Adams type that's a little bulkier, is their first big off the bench. Baylor is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. Great news. Their overall 36% mark isn't eye-popping necessarily, but they've shot the ball very well recently. They have three elite high-volume shooters that we just mentioned. Per usual, they're excellent on the offensive glass. They average 81 points per game, so points uh, are probably not going to be a shortage of those here. Uh, They're elite at getting to the free-throw line, thanks to George primarily. They move the ball very well. But despite the fast pace, they struggle getting two-point shots up. They're awful on the defensive glass, and they foul a lot. So definitely, you know, bet the over, as they say here. Uh, George speeding up the offense can also lead to some turnover problems. Uh, Nick adds that Ryan also struggles getting things up. Uh, You know, that's a side note. Uh, Take that for what you will. Uh, But yeah, certainly, uh, I you know, you would certainly think offense is going to be of no shortage uh, in Waco on Monday. And your annual reminder of a quote, if you open your Bible to the middle of one of the, the, I think it's in the middle, I don't know the exact book, but it's somewhere in the middle there, you have to find it, where Jesus, shortly after being born in the year 3 AD, so he would have been like an infant, opened up his eyes. It'd be about uh, two-thirds of the way through the book, but that's okay. Okay, two-thirds of the way through the book, he opened his eyes for the first time. The Old Testament's like more than (laughs) two-thirds of the the, the entire Bible. Nick and I both now can have biblical discussions legitimately (laughs) wherever it says it in the bible he did open up his eyes fresh out of the womb and say the baylor bears that did happen because screw him and i'm not going to disagree with jesus on a lot of things this being one of them i don't disagree yes yes jesus the baylor bears 
while Kansas is 11-4 in the Farrell Center and 5-2 and against ranked teams in Waco, the Jayhawks have not been particularly dominant in this rivalry as of late. Despite an overall record of 35-8 and against the Bears, Kansas is just 6-4 and against them over the last five seasons. They're also looking to avoid losing three straight times on the road to the same team for just the third time in Bill Self's 20-year tenure. Going to be a tough matchup, though. Baylor poised to jump into maybe the top 15 with all the teams that have lost this week. They are the preseason champions of this of this league. Landon, what happens? Jayhawks trying to avoid three in a row. Yeah, this is really tough. Like, had Kansas not lost to K-State and TCU combined especially, I very well might have taken them to lose here. I'm really tempted to do it anyway. I just, you know, I'm... It's very unlikely that the Kansas Jayhawks are going to lose three games in a row. Um, but this does feel like a loss, and I, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to say Baylor gets the win. I think these are two teams currently heading in the opposite direction. Again, I do not think Kansas will stay here, uh, but I do think they are there right now. I think it's going to continue. Give me Baylor um, in a higher-scoring uh, game here. I'm going to say Baylor wins 83-77 in Waco and hands the Jayhawks their third straight. I was also tempted to go that direction, and I think that a three-game slide is not out of the ordinary. Remember back two seasons ago where Kansas had the same problem. Uh, but I do think that this game, KU gets back on track. I think the trajectories just seem like Baylor's due to take another L here. I don't think they're as good as Ryan believes they are. Um, I think they do have some glaring defensive issues. And like you said, not a great two-point shooting team. And I think KJ Adams is going to be able to exploit their not-very-great center despite their excellent front court. So I think Kansas is going to win this game in the Farrell Center. Uh, give me 81-76. to 76. Is this the final year of the Farrell Center? Is that thing getting shut down next year? Yep. Okay. Final game in the ugly, hideous building that they call the Farrell Center. And yes, I kind of agree with both of your analysis. I think that Kansas gets back on track here, but it's really hard to pick them to win there. They're going to be an underdog. But I think they match up pretty well with Baylor. I think that George is slowed down enough by Harris's defense. And Kevin McCullough should be put on Adam Flagler. He's a good on-ball defender. They're not going to shut those guys down. But I think they do just enough. Baylor is prone to getting burned on second-chance points on the defensive side. Kansas with K.J. Adams, a very good offensive rebounder. Kansas shoots the three-ball better in this game, I think, with Baylor's lack of three-point resistance. And ultimately, this is the sort of spot that Bill Self, you're going to give me plus odds on Bill Self to win a Big 12 basketball game with a very talented team, and I'm going to take that every time. I think Kansas gets back on track and wins 80-75 to in a really entertaining game. If they lose it, it's not the end of the world. If they win it, they have undone the negative with this TCU game. So a very important game in the Big 12 race, but ultimately one that at the beginning of the year you circled as a loss. So anything but that would be gravy. Other games in the Big 12. Oklahoma hits the road to play red hot number 14 TCU. This is in the past wherever I would really consider the Sooners because TCU off the emotional high. Oklahoma's kind of waiting in the weeds, but I really love TCU's team this year. I think they win. Yes, yeah, same. Horn Frogs. Oklahoma State at number seven, Texas. Do you trust the Longhorns at home? I yes. do. Added two. Nick's still thinking about it. I oh, said, he said yes. He said yes. Oh, okay. We, we talked my, over each other. My phone was still thinking about uh, whether or not it was going to convey that message. Number 13, K-State at number 12, Iowa State. Wildcats look like they're going to move into the top 10, but I say it's short-lived. The Cyclones take them down at home. 
Yes. Wildcats. Interesting. All right. West Virginia at Texas Tech in the toilet bowl of the Big 12. Here's where it ends for Tech. They get their first win. Yep. Yeah, I think they get a win. Other games. Unranked Duke at unranked Virginia Tech. Can anyone say Big Monday? Give me the Hokies at home. Same. Duke. Number eight, Xavier at number 15, UConn. We've been burned by the Huskies a lot. Does, do they get off the schneid? Uh, yes. They blasted Butler today, so I'm going to take UConn to win two in a row. Yep, I agree. I do agree. Number one, Houston at Central Florida. One of the tougher games on the schedule for the Cougars. Is it enough to slow them down? Close yeah. win for Houston. Uh, no. It's not close. That league's so bad. Did Nick pick Houston and it just got talked over again? Yes. Okay. Number three, Purdue at Michigan. I will take the Wolverines here. I think Purdue goes down on the road. Uh, you stole my sexy upset pick. Uh, I'm going to take it as well. Wow. All of us? Okay. And number five, UCLA at USC. I think UCLA is the best team in the Pac-12. I take them Yeah. Here. Give me the Bruins. Same. Next show coming out later in the week. And the next game is at the PayPal Cows, a Lexington trip for the Kansas Jayhawks. And then after that, you thought the schedule got easier? No. Then it's K-State at home, Iowa State on the road, and Texas at home. Three straight ranked top 15 teams waiting for them after that. Just a brutal grind that this Big 12 is. But we will be back later in the week to talk about that next step. Until then, this is Inside the Paint. I'm Ryan Landreth. I'm Landon Fields. And I'm Nick Whitebird. Keep on behaving, right? Just keep on behaving. Dude, don't don't mess up. Don't be an idiot. And uh, more importantly, don't... And now uh, I was going to make a joke, but Nick wouldn't think it's funny. Somebody say bye. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.